welcome to episode 10 of the Oxfordshire Teacher Training Podcast. My name is Matthew Coatesworth and I'm sitting down this afternoon with one of our programme leaders, Louise Border, and we're going to be exploring the Education Endowment Foundation's guidance report on special educational needs in mainstream schools. Now there's every chance you might have missed this because it was published on Friday the 20th of March 2020, which also happened to be the last day that schools in this country were open for some time. So, Louise, first of all, welcome for joining me virtually this afternoon. Thank you. It's nice to finally be here and join you. What we're going to spend uh, a bit of time this afternoon is, is having a look through here. But before we, we actually look into the guidance report itself, um, Louise, do you want to give us a little bit of a background as to uh, what, what you do with Oxfordshire Teacher Training, but also why particularly I might have wanted to talk to you um, above all the others in our central team today? Okay, so um, I'm a programme leader at Oxford Stitch Training, like you said. Uh, at the moment, I lead the salaried programme. Um, and prior to this, I was a primary school teacher. So my background is in primary. Um, I was a deputy head and I was also a SENCO. So I think I did my SENCO qualification in about 2013. So I suppose that is why you might want to talk to me. Um, I have a real passion about um, inclusive schools and supporting all pupils, um, especially those with um, additional needs. So that's why um, I often lead on some of the, uh, the training um, in this area. So um, for those of you who, um, who know the EEF uh, very well, they'll, they'll know that um, we, we did an episode uh, earlier with Jen Fidman looking at the, their toolkit, which is the, the online toolkit looking at uh, lots and lots of different research that's been done um, all around the world, how that helps. But the, the guidance reports that they produce uh, tend to have in them um, some recommendations. And so what I think was going to be the, the best way forward for us this afternoon is for us to have a little look through um, the five recommendations that uh, they've put together in this guidance report. Um, and uh, Louise, as you, you were just mentioning there, of course, um, your, your background will, will help us to, to kind of understand as to whether you feel there's anything new here or whether, in fact, what they've put together is just a nice, clear, succinct um, explanation about things that for those of you who are real experts, particularly thinking about the mentors working with Oxfordshire teacher training, who, um, who are experienced teachers, maybe our SENCOs themselves, um, thinking about whether there's anything in here that you think, oh, yeah, this is the common sense stuff now, but it's really well put together. The first of their recommendations, which is um, creating a positive and supportive environment for all pupils without exception. What do you think they mean by that, then, Louise? They looked at some evidence, and that evidence shows that inclusive schools are effectively able to remove barriers to learning and participation um, and so they talk specifically about three ways that schools did that. So firstly, they promote positive relationships. So they have this really good kind of relationship foundation. They look at active ways to engage pupils. So like the title again suggests, without exception. So thinking about ways you can make sure it is inclusive for all of your learners. Um, so that's one of the strategies that they looked at. Um, and then the, the, the one that, you know, is so fundamental, and I think as SENCOs, we've been talking about uh, for a long time, is this ensuring all pupils can access the best possible teaching. 
So those that need it the most get the strongest support. And really, that is, I suppose, the bottom line. So when schools are looking at what it is that they need to do to create this environment, that's really where they need to look at first and say, what, what is the, you know, what's the teaching like? How can we best support our teachers? And, you know, that's obviously another one of our passions, isn't it, about training teachers and ensuring that they're equipped to do the best possible job. And then another thing that they suggest, that the evidence suggests, is that they adopt a positive and proactive approach to behaviour. So, um, obviously, good behaviour learning, behavior for learning will not only allow pupils with additional needs to, to be able to get on and settle quickly and access the work, but actually that's going to be really helpful for all pupils. So, schools that have really good, clear systems in place for behaviour um, will obviously do really well in this area as well and, and kind of create that positive ethos because a lot of that will be looking um, at having rules and routines and relationships, but it'll also be about um, positive behaviour as well. So certainly when we're, th- we're thinking about the, the quality of, of the teaching that's going on, that the, the best teaching uh, should, should be towards the people who are going to need it most. Um, and there's some vital things in there. So, so if, you're, if you're a mentor working with us, um, something certainly to be thinking about, um, and you've been thinking about it in your schools, I'm sure, for years, but um, in terms of supporting associate teachers who might be coming in with some preconceptions about things, um, th- that's going to be something that we'll look, look into a bit, a bit later. So the report itself, um, for, for, apart from just uh, a really succinct kind of one-page-to-view um, summary of the recommendations, also goes to a little bit more information um, for each one of these. And um, uh, one of the things that I particularly like about the approach that they've taken with this is they, they've um, put uh, a number of boxes of, of information taken from um, schools themselves. They've got um, the assistant principal and SENCO from um, an academy talking about an inclusive environment, talking about um, the importance of seating plans. And also, they've got, as a, I thought, one that we might be, want to have a little closer look at now, which is that uh, if those of you who've got the, the Education Endowment Foundation's guidance report in front of you, this is on page 12, and this is box four. They've given an example, um, but it's not what you'd normally expect in these things because it's a non-example. So, um, yeah, they give a really good non-example there, don't they, of um, where it's actually you know, found to be not inclusive. So um, one theory that I always said as a SENCO, and I say it to our associate teachers, is, is you know, actually the children with um, special educational needs and disabilities need more of you, not less. And if they're going out of the classroom, then they're getting less of you, and, and that can't be right. Yeah, and what's what's important about this non-example is that the EEF has then followed that through to say that um, in their teaching and learning toolkit, um, that the they they have they found that on average um, streaming or setting has a negative impact for low attaining pupils, um, and so you can see that idea that by taking somebody out of the classroom, potentially we've got some some real challenges to to uh, to overcome that we shouldn't have to if we don't don't have this constant idea that it's the right thing to, to take somebody out of the classroom so louise let's move on now and think about uh, the second of uh, the five recommendations for this particular guidance report here which is to build an ongoing holistic understanding of your pupils and their needs so um how can you imagine mentors using this to, to support um, associate teachers, perhaps developing their confidence and competence? 
Okay, well, firstly, if we have a look at the report, that report breaks it down into the three different ways. So I'll just talk through those very briefly, and then we'll maybe have a think about how we can, how the mentors can use those. So the first one is that all children would have the common needs. So that overall um, effective teaching, everyone has the need to receive effective teaching. And some children might have more specific needs that are shared with a similar group um, of pupils. So, for example, it gives the example of pupils with a hearing impairment. So number three, children that have individual needs. So, for example, a pupil with uh, maybe some quite specific speech and language needs uh, that might need additional uh, support from an outside agency. So in terms of the number one, um, children have the common need to receive effective teachers. Mentors can really focus on this by giving feedback in lessons, um, but also that support and guidance that they give day on day in terms of planning lessons, maybe looking at the bigger picture of what, it, of what you want the pupils to learn over a period of time and how you might develop that in smaller steps. In terms of um, points two and three, I think... Many trainee teachers and um, early career teachers will find this quite a challenge um, and it is a little bit of a minefield, isn't it, knowing how to meet everyone's needs. And I think the report does make it clear that you don't have to know everything about every special educational need. But what you do need to know is kind of signposts to the people who can help and support with this. So that would be mentors in schools can give them some guidance on this. Um, SENCOs in schools or, or the, the departments that support pupils with additional needs. And I think also being involved in conversations with parents right from um, the word go. So many of our associate teachers will be involved in parents' evenings, they'll be involved in review meetings and mentors uh, modelling how to do this and, and you know, modelling how they write their individual education plans and, and SENCOs can help with that as well. That kind of slowly, slowly approach, but but making sure that they're feeling much more confident and competent to do that. And obviously, we give um, training around that as well. Brilliant. That's really, really helpful. It's also worth bearing in mind for um, anybody who's um, been looking at this report um, on the EEF website is that um, in the same place where you access that, um, there are also a few additional pieces of um, re uh, research that they've put together. And uh, one which I found particularly useful, I, I read through it and thought, yeah, this is, this is excellent stuff here. It's just a single page um, entitled Effective Parental Engagement for Pupils with SEND. It's got four um, four pieces of advice on how to, how to do things, but it's also got some really great questions for reflection. We've got two of our five recommendations. The third one is this idea that all pupils must have access to high quality teaching. So uh, let's, let's look at this third one in a little bit more detail. Yeah, so the report starts this section with a really good example of um, an interview with an NQT and she's feeling really overwhelmed as she feels like she's had limited training with working with and supporting pupils with uh, special educational needs and disabilities. And I can really sympathise with her here. I'm sure we all can, you know, thinking back to your early career. And I suppose the simple answer here is to make sure that they're adequate adequately trained um, and I hope we are doing this like as you, like you talked about right at the beginning there needs to be specific teaching of how to um, how to work with pupils with additional needs but also to make sure that they have access to this high quality teaching 
So the evidence review for this found strong evidence that high quality teaching for pupils with FEMD um, is firmly based on strategies that will already be there. I think it's quite interesting that there's not this magic bullet answer. And I think sometimes we think that maybe there is, uh, but there's a strategy out there that teachers have access to or some teachers have access to. And actually, the simple fact is that there isn't. Good teaching is actually the best strategy for all of of our, our learners. So the report actually mentions Rosenshine here. And if you think about those strategies, so reviewing learning, um, adding new material in small steps, clear and detailed instruction and explanation, that we know is really good quality teaching. That's effective in the classroom and that will be effective for pupils with uh, special educational needs as well. Um, so, So I think in essence, what it's really saying is, don't reinvent the wheel, focus on what you know is is really good strategies, and those will work really, really effectively. What it does also talk about is there are some additions to that as well. So um, it suggests that the following things can help, and they're flexible groupings. So I think you talked a little bit about that, not having those permanent sets where, you know, pupils know that they're in the bottom set and what the impact that that has on self-esteem and and on their engagement as well. Um, And it also talks about cognitive and metacognitive strategies as well. And and as you know, metacognition is something that we run sessions on. So um, teaching pupils how to plan and monitor their own learning. Um, And it does talk about schools developing teacher skills in this area as well. So schools might invest in CPD in in these areas. And then again, the third one, so links again directly to Rosenshine, is be explicit instruction. So teaching skills and concepts in small steps and using examples and non-examples. And actually, we just saw earlier, one of those non-examples is it it can be quite powerful. So using clear and unambiguous language and, and things like that as well. So teaching strategies that we know that teachers are doing day in, day out in the classroom are actually the ones that are really, really effective. But, you know, as, as you've been saying, going, going through all of these points, um, really good teaching for everybody is really good teaching for pupils with SEND. In, in a way, it's not really surprising that this report um, refers to so many other reports that the EEF has put together. Um, yeah, because yeah. Because they're actually all all linked, aren't they? Another of the strategies that they said would be effective is using technologies and scaffolding. So that's also a a strategy. So as you know, that's kind of a metaphor for the temporary support that can be taken away when able to do so. so. So knowing when to take it away requires some effective assessment to gain that kind of understanding of when when the pupils got the capabilities to to do it without. The scaffolding. So I guess where mentors can support here is modelling the use of scaffolds and, and um, assessing progress and things like that. Yeah, brilliant. We'll move on to number four. So this is this is um, where you complement high quality teaching with carefully selected small group and one to one interventions. And um, I, I don't think that there's any surprise that they've been uh, particular about using this expression: carefully selected small group and one to one interventions, rather than just any old groups and one-to-one interventions and definitely not this idea of just let's stick this child outside and they can do something with someone else. Some interventions work really well but they shouldn't be replacing lessons they should be on top of so I guess what we've decided is if if a pupil needs an intervention is they need a little bit more than Um, so that should be in addition to rather than 
instead of. So pupils going out of a maths lesson to have a maths intervention just doesn't make sense to me. And I think you also need to think about the timing as well. So if you've got a pupil who really enjoys their PE lesson, but they're having to do an additional reading in their PE time, you know, and I I have come across this before, not very frequently, but you know, that that can be very demotivating for, for the child as well. Precisely. Precisely. Uh, one thing that I always recommended when I was a SENCO was um, for class teachers and, and whoever's running the interventions to work really closely together. Um, and I know that's really hard because we're all, you know, time short in school and we're off for break duties as soon as we finished our lessons and things like that. But actually, what's really important is there's some link back to the lesson with the intervention. So those those interventions that I thought were really effective were the ones where the teacher knew exactly what was going on in the intervention. They were able to draw on that in their teaching and say, oh, you know, do you remember when you did this in your in your group yesterday? I wonder which of those sentences might fit in here. So the, the, the child can see that link between what they're doing in the intervention and what they're doing in the class and they can kind of fit those together and I think there was some research back in 2017 which said there are clear links between um, linking explicitly so if you link a phonics intervention explicitly with your spelling and reading or another example might be uh, a motor practice with writing so there's a real clarity there for the people of what they're doing and why and and what what that's going to make them better at brilliant yeah so so, so it is it's this idea joined up joined up thinking from everybody involved as well before we look at the final uh, one of the five recommendations um, another one of their uh, additional pieces of research that they've put together um, from this um, are four common SEND misconceptions and again we'll put the link to that um, in the show notes here so they've got these these four misconceptions and I would like to hope that um, we've um, we've kind of addressed them all already to see why why they are misconceptions so the first one um, is uh, SEND is the sole responsibility of the SENCO. Obviously, we can see why everything we've just been talking about, how that absolutely isn't the case. Yeah, um, I, yeah. And I, I, one thing that's important in that is that we're not de-skilling teachers. No. And actually, what we want to be doing is quite the opposite. We want to be skilling teachers up and particularly, you know, our early careers teachers to really feel like they are the teachers teacher of all the pupils in their class and they can effectively support all those pupils but what I want to recognize is we know that can be quite difficult and they will need some support and guidance with that yeah yeah so another one of the misconceptions is that if a child has a CND they automatically need an education health care plan or EHCP the code of practice is is very good you know you can have a look down and think what adjustments can I do in my classroom so as we know some of these things might be whole school based you know lots of them are about what can I change in my classroom to to see if that helps and see if that enables the pupils to make progress and so there there are lots of things that you would do before you went to to getting an EHCP that's quite a way down the line absolutely yeah yeah um Another another one of the misconceptions is that all children with SEND display disruptive behaviour. Yeah, and I mean that's that's obviously not necessarily the case. And some some pupils are able to um, look quite compliant um, and and you know manage in the lesson, but maybe not be 
understanding the learning as you would hope that they would. And actually, sometimes they can be harder to, uh, slightly harder to miss because um, the ones, you know, somebody is, is does have challenging behavior they can often be more noticeable um but but that's absolutely you know we know that's not true that um not all children with SEND will display disruptive behavior um, no absolutely so the the final one of the um the misconceptions uh is the misconception that the TA is responsible for a child with SEND but in fact the the report itself one of its five main recommendations the last one is that uh in order for things to be to be, to work well, we work effectively with teaching assistants. So, um, rather rather than looking at um, what what's working well, let's let's try and um, unpick then for for the final part here. Um, what is it? What is it that means that um, uh, it's not going to work uh, in terms of the uh, this idea of just leaving things to the TA to do uh, to 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 teach the child with SEND. Yeah, I think initially it sort of unpicks the ineffective approaches, doesn't it? And I th- I think what it's getting at here is that quite often um, pupils that have the most needs are, are actually um, not being taught by the teacher, but are working in groups with the teaching assistant. And as we know, there are some fantastic teaching assistants out there who make a real difference with all pupils um, to enable them to make progress. But actually, um, what the report is alluding to here is that they're taken away from the qualified teacher. And quite often, the teaching assistants hadn't had the appropriate training. So tasks for uh, pupils with SEND were inappropriately targeted. They were maybe repetitive or under-demanding. And um, they weren't actually being overseen by the class teacher. So although the teaching assistant was really well intentioned, they might not have been a pro- providing the appropriate challenge. So, so overall, the, this this report, um, you know, we've, I, I kind of alluded to this at the very beginning, saying, you know, as, as an experienced Senko, if you're looking at this, you're probably going to be looking at this and saying, yep. I think this is all. This is all stuff that we we all we all should know in schools. Um, I I think it's stuff that we do know, and I I think um, most schools are doing this, and they're doing it really well. And you know, when I talk to most of the associate teachers, what they're saying is, you know, they don't see teaching assistants just working with children with SEND. They see, you know that changes on a daily basis um you know and the, the teacher works with the groups and things so I think it's mostly the things that are going on but obviously you know it, it is really good to have this kind of in the report and written down um so it's there for people to see yeah absolutely um and of course you know it, it does actually say in the SCND code of practice that it's the teachers who are responsible and accountable for the progress and development of the pupils in their class um including where pupils access their support from teaching assistants. And so I think it's that also that sense of accountability is, is really important for us to remember. So Louise, thank you so much for um, spending some time with us, um, having a, a little bit of a closer look at um, this uh, report uh, that the EF has put together all about um, SEND pupils in mainstream schools. And uh, uh, it's, you know, we, we, we thoroughly recommend pretty much with everything that the EEF is, is putting out at the moment um, that people have a look through. Um, we're not necessarily expecting that uh, experienced mentors are going to look at this and say, um, 
oh, wow, I've learned something brand new from this. What I think it does, and it does very well, is it uses research to back up and it uses some good examples, and as we've seen, also some non-examples, um, to, back, to back up what is, what is and what should be happening in schools, in mainstream schools, um, in order to support um, every single child. Um, and obviously with this report, um, children, children with, with uh, special educational needs and disabilities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're all coming from the same place. We all want... Um, every child to make the best progress that they possibly can and that's why uh, you know it's really important that we kind of work together we work with parents we we work with uh, mentors work with associate teachers and, and you know we, we do the best that we can yeah and um, and to, to finish with at the, t- at the time that we're recording this we've, we've just heard um, the announcement that there's a possibility that schools um, primary schools might be reopening in June um, for some year groups. Um, but we can't get away from the fact it will be many months um, since uh, since schools have been, um, and I, I say the word closed because, of course, they haven't been closed. And potentially for um, children with special educational needs, these might be some of the more vulnerable pupils who have been able to go into schools. But we can't get away from the fact that um, education for all of these children over the last few months has been uh, significantly uh, impacted by what's going on. And so um, giving us this chance just to remind ourselves of these five real key recommendations here, I think potentially will be really, really important as we start to um, rebuild um, learning for all all of these children um, and indeed for ourselves as teachers when when things do get back to something like normality. So we hope that this is a, a timely podcast for um, uh, associate teachers, our trainees, um, but also for mentors um, potentially thinking now ahead as well as as well as where we are now yeah yeah I mean one thing the report points out is actually you know there is there is quite a large gap between uh pupils who have uh, special educational needs um and and I guess the worry is that gap will widen and that's what we really need to be mindful of isn't it absolutely so thank you very much thank you